this off with Chris. Uh, I am Chris E. Francesco, of course, uh, and I am super excited to be back here talking Flyers hockey for another season with you guys. Uh, I apologize for the abrupt exit um, around last season, I guess near the middle or maybe like the end of last season. Um, as those of you who follow me know, uh, my wife and I had our second child a, a few months back, um, but you know, in preparing for our our second little one, uh, just a, a lot of planning went involved, and a lot of things um, had to be put in place as well because you know we also have an almost three year old toddler in the house as well, and my wife and I both work full time. But nonetheless, it is just about to hit September. Uh, as I am recording this and getting this out to you guys, it is August 31st, um, and we are back. And if you guys recall, for those who have been listening for a long time, uh, season one, the very first episode of Face Off with Chris, our guest was none other than Philadelphia Flyers uh, media, um, I guess, media savant, the, the director of Flyers media, uh, Jason Martinez, who's a really good friend of mine. Um, he hosts a Flyers Daily podcast, which you can find anywhere you guys listen to podcasts. Um, so I felt it was only appropriate to start, um, drop the puck on season two here um, of the uh, Face Off with Chris podcast and have Mr. Jason Martinez back on the show. And we talk about a lot of things. We talk about Chuck Fletcher, uh, the job he's done, um, how the perception of him has changed as the Flyers general manager from last year to today. Uh, we discuss the Sean Couturier contracts. We discuss um, Carter Hart and his possible bounce-back season, what we expect from him. We talk about Ivan Provorov uh, with the addition of all these new defensemen and you know what we can expect from the Flyers this season. We also touch on the topical subject of the Flyers' captain, Claude Giroux, uh, where he stands after the 2021-2022 season. Uh, but look, this is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be talking a lot of Flyers hockey, a lot of hockey overall. Very much excited for that. But I'm going to stop talking, and I'm going to get to my interview with Mr. Jason Martinez on the other side here. So just stand pat for just a couple more seconds. And we are going to talk to Jason Martinez of the Philadelphia Flyers. Thank you guys so much. Uh, if you want to find me on Instagram, I am at KingDFriend3. That's KingDFriend3. If you want to find me on the Twitter, at ChrisDFriend3. Uh, so definitely uh, check that out. If you have anything you guys want to hear, maybe some guests, let me know. Um, I will try my best to reach out to uh, the Flyers and get some guests on here throughout uh, the season as much I, as much as I possibly uh, Ken, thank you guys so much. Um, and on the other side, Jason Martinez, hope you guys have a good one. We will be back next week with some more uh, Flyers talk as training camp kicks off uh, very, very soon. Have a good one, guys, and enjoy the interview. And joining us now is a legitimate um, good pal of mine. Uh, he is the host of the Flyers Daily from the Philadelphia Flyers. He was the guest of my first episode of season one. And had to bring him back for episode one of season two. So, Jason Martinez, what's going on, man? Not much. Just uh, first day of school for the kids and ready for hockey season. No, <laughs> you, you ain't lying, man. Um, it was it was so much uh, fun watching the the Flyers Twitter today of all the videos uh, from all the prospects from today. That was just incredible to watch. Yeah, it's it's cool that they have development camp again. Cause they didn't have it last year, obviously, with the pandemic, and they're having it this year. 
And to be able to, like, some of these young guys have been really impressive, you know. Like Tyson Forster, who should have been playing last year in the O, and Zade Wisdom as well. Both played in the AHL, and both look good. And it looks like with the that the CHL and, the, and you know, the pro leagues are going to come to an agreement that if you played 20 games last year, you can play in the AHL again. And I think that helps his, his development a ton. Going back to junior would be such a waste for Tyson yeah. Forrester right now. It, it, it would just develop bad habits. So I'm glad that, you know, in our twisted world, that common sense is being applied. And it makes sense. Like, you want these kids to develop. I get the junior leagues want them and, and their box office, but – Mm-hmm. You got to do what's best for the player. And so, yeah, I, I'm excited. I'm going to be over there um, tomorrow and Wednesday. So um, I can't wait. I'm, I'm going to actually have a chance to meet with two different groups, we're, all the players, but we're doing like a 9 to 930 group mm-hmm. and a 10 to 1030 group to talk to the young players about dealing with the media best practices, which I mm-hmm. think is brilliant. I've been saying they should do that for years mm-hmm. and kind of just like, you know, here's the things you kind of want to avoid and just you know, answer some questions and, and, and talk to the young players about how to deal with the media. And, and as you know, is a very tough media market. Very tough. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, it's as if uh, not to you know change sports, but look what's going on with the Mets and Javi Baez and that team. Yeah. It's as if some of these guys, man, just don't know how to quote unquote read the room. And it's just, yeah. it's embarrassing. Um, but I think the good thing is, and especially with hockey and like I've said, and you know, this better than anybody, Hockey players are a different breed, man. Most of the time, especially when they come to a big market like Philadelphia, um, you know, some of these guys that are from the Toronto area where, you know, hockey is is life up there. Coming to a big market like Philly or New York, it doesn't really phase them necessarily, and they always handle it pretty well. And I've always thought that um, the, the way the media is is shifting now since COVID, I think, like you said, it's something that should have, be, should have been done years ago. Yeah, it's something that Zach Hill and I have talked about and Joe Seville, the Flyers PR department, have talked about for years. Mm-hmm. You know, because invariably every preseason you get a really young player, you do an interview with them. And and I think I really amped up the conversation in 2017 in Nolan Patrick's rookie year because I did an interview with him. I don't even know if it was preseason off the ice in between periods. And I thought he was going to fall asleep on the blade of a stick. Jeez. And I got – I mean, it was it, – it, it was three minutes of my life that I would have preferred a root canal without Novocaine. Oh and gosh. I got done and I looked at Zach and, I, and he's just like, I'll talk to him. But like, just to tell like those guys like, Hey, we're not here to, especially that role. Like I'm not there to break stories or put them over the coals or anything like that. I'm working mm-hmm. for the team. I'm doing the team broadcast, but just in dealing with the media in general, you know, if, if you can find a way to navigate it as best you can and be authentic I'm not saying you have to leak information or give information right. or be this profound answer, but um, the, they will. The media—it's human nature. They will give you a, lo- a little bit longer of a rope mm-hmm. and g- give you the benefit of the doubt. But if you're a jerk and you're, or you're just, you know, there's nothing there, then you get a little bit less leeway. And I think in a young player's career, it might be important to have a little bit more leeway. Oh, I, and I agree. And shifting now to. The, the, one of the first things I want to talk to you about, people that give you something, um, for those of you who haven't listened yet, I urge you, uh, anyone to go listen to um, Monday's edition of the Flyers Daily, where you got to talk to the Flyers GM. And it was super refreshing, man, to to listen to a general manager, a leader of a, of a, of a hockey organization, or even a pro sports organization, to be um, so candid 
and honest with his not only his job but the job of his players his coaches um and how and i want to ask you is how impressed were you when you were listening to him talk about how he was able to like navigate this flat cap era how he was able um to understand you know really quickly after the demise of, of you know the last half of last season how this locker room needed a drastic change and what he's been able to do this offseason has really turned I, I guess the hopes of Flyers fans around because after last season or two seasons ago it was you know what's Chuck gonna do to help this roster it was kind of a slow offseason last year and then things you know went off the, the rails this past year but this offseason Jason has been I mean move after move he's made has been I mean damn near spectacular like what's what was your thoughts listening to Chuck and then what are your thoughts on, on him on the job that he's done this past offseason yeah I mean first the way he's conducted himself this offseason I maybe have used the term with him that um he conducted it like a surgeon like the precision mm -hmm. of a surgeon uh, there's so much that goes into it, and there's so many variables of if this happens, we have to pivot this direction, or if this player is available or not available, and at this price point, then we have to pivot. So there's so many different things. Mm -hmm. I think I referred to you know his flow chart as being it must have been the size of a billboard <laughs> yes. because there there was so many. And you know the interesting thing, Chris, is this: is that you know we all watching the team i think we all identified what the issues were that that was kind of the first thing that we did that's the, probably the first thing that he did and he has to go okay what's the solutions are there answers here um who are the answers here who's part of the problem who's not part of the solution and who is the solution there's like three categories there and you go okay now how are we going to do this and there was a lot of issues you know this wasn't a small checklist and we go well how many of these can he in one off season can you really check off now, we know that one player can check multiple boxes, like Ristolainen. Yes. Improves your second pair, adds toughness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so there's those, you know, one player can check three boxes. Um, not in total, but can, can give you a little bit, a, a bunch of different things. And, you know, the way in which he conducted it, I, I think the reason why Flyer fans are so excited, I, this is my sense mm -hmm. and kind of how I feel, and I, I think this – even if I'm, I'm, people don't really consciously know it yet, I think the big part of it is not only that they seem upgraded, and they, I believe they are upgraded on paper, but it's not just the same people and right. the same core. He, he legitimately shook the foundation of the organization. So it's not stale. It's not the same Jeru, Voracek, you know. Voracek's gone. He's a huge personality and a huge, you know, part of that team. And he's a good player. Yeah. Um, Costas Bear, gone. I mean, you talk about some big names here. Phil Myers was a big part of the future. He's gone. Nolan, Nolan Patrick, Patrick, the second over. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's crazy what is gone. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you go, okay, well, sometimes, you know, change for the sake of change is no good. It's all well and good that you made those changes, but what'd you bring in? And then right. when I look at every, across the board, I kind of go, pretty much an upgrade everywhere. Yeah. And all I, those voids. I agree. I agree. So, um, kind of to answer your initial question, though, you know, and how he's handled it. And, you know, he's a player's general manager. He's a really genuine guy. He's a he's a he's a nice man. You know, not everybody in pro sports, you know, we can respect the job they do and they're smart. He's a good hockey man, but they're not all the greatest people. And right. Chuck's a really straight shooter mm -hmm. and he, he tends to hold his cards pretty close to the vest. But in this situation, he didn't. And he did provide a lot of transparency and a lot of honesty 
And the, the thing that I've harped on is, you know, and when he said it, I harped on it immediately. I think I grabbed the quote when he said it at the um, trade deadline press conference that what's happened this year is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Well, those are words. They don't mean anything right. until you put action behind them. And by his actions, he proved that what happened this year to him and the organization was not acceptable. And, you know, I don't think he's thrown any players under the bus, but he's been really, really transparent and honest. And I don't, if you can't respect that, I don't know what to tell you. He's a, a really smart man. I mean, he went to Harvard. Been, his dad is a <laughs> Hall of Fame GM. I mean, he knows yeah. what he's doing. Um, and, and, he, and he really put his balls on the line this year. And he made some big moves. If it works, I mean, we'll see if it works. It, right. It's on paper. You know, we've been burned on paper before. Uh, from dream team and with the Eagles to, you know, I mean, 20, 2018, is this Eagles team better than the one that won the Super Bowl last year? We're, we're insane, you know? So we'll see what happens when they get on the 200 by 85 ice. But mm-hmm. I mean, I think he, I think he's done an amazing job and he's won a lot of people over that. He, I didn't think he could win over. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get to the Couturier thing, cause that's one of the things that I, my main point is I want to get into the weeds with you. Cause you're one of the few people that I can go into the weeds with. When it comes to, you know, whether it's, you know, showing, you know, educating the haters on this contract with Couturier or shining new light for those who um, loved it, the many that loved it. But what I want to ask you is how this team is shaping up to you, because at the end of that interview, I heard, you know, um, Chuck say, look, we don't have any 100 point guys. We don't have any 50 goal scorers on the like right now, the way obviously we don't know what can happen, but the way the roster is and how it's been. I guess designed for them based on the on the monies. How is this roster shaping up to you? And is do you feel better than you did maybe six weeks ago about this team maybe being a non-playoff team a couple months ago to now being all right? Well, they might be able to to surprise some people. Yeah, it's a good question, and and my honest answer is I'm not sure. Like I, again, I look at it on paper, and I go, okay, they have a pure scorer, a guy who scored 42, you know a couple of times in this league and Cam Atkinson, mm-hmm. um, they got, you know, I think they're just so much better on defense. I really Very do. Very much it. so, yeah. And, and, and the trickle-down effect of that is so pronounced to me because it's the goalie and it's, you know, team defense. And, you know, I don't discount the the character that was brought in with guys like Ryan Ellis. Rista Linen's a character guy. Keith Yandel's a character guy. Atkinson's a character. Nate Thompson. Mm-hmm. Derek Broussard, these what, what do they all have in common? You know, tons of tons of character and pride. So, uh, I don't discount that. I think that's an important element that they added. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting because you look at teams that win the cup and you go, they have they have a superstar, right? They have a guy that can score forty or fifty, and but it's not necessarily true, and it's not a hard and fast rule. Like if you look at St. Louis, right? I mean, their Sean Couturier is, is Ryan O'Reilly. They're very similar players. Couturier mm-hmm. actually scores a little bit more points than he does and is actually a frac- I think a little bit better defensively too but um but they're kind of built the same way and, and you know two years ago when they had that great you know second half of that season and went into the bubble feeling great th- they were seventh in the league in scoring and they didn't mm-hmm. have a 30 goal guy yep. so I mean connecting was on a 30 goal pace he had 24 and 69 games which would have been mm-hmm. 29.5 pace but um, so yeah, they, they don't have anybody that is going to scare you, but they can come at you in waves. And I think that those teams are built better for the playoffs than teams are that have a singular line that can score. Unless you're talking about a line like, you know, Bergeron's line, mm-hmm. 
but yeah. they have other guys too. So um, I think it's a good way to build a team. Um, it's not the only way. I mean, you could go after a guy like Line A, which I, I've been pretty pretty vocal about being against that because I just, you know, he's great when he scores. He, he's a guy that, he's like a girl at the beach. She looks really good from afar, but when you, you see her up close, she's far from good. You know? <laughs> he would drive Flyer fans bananas because he's a mutt a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And if he's not scoring, I mean, he has set, I think I did the numbers one time earlier in the offseason. I mean, he had two 11-game goalless droughts, um, two 10-game pointless droughts. If he's not scoring, he's he is of no use to you. I agree. Yeah. And I mean, I think he had four seven game droughts in a 56 game season. So when he scores, he scores in bunches, but you can't yeah. rely on him. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, the roster construction is going to be fascinating. How it all comes together, how quickly it comes together will be really interesting. But these guys are, are savvy. And a lot of these guys have played for AV before, mm-hmm. you know, from Yans to, you know, Cam Atkinson didn't. But um, I mean, you got some guys that have some familiarity there already and, you know, Ryan Ellis is a guy I think he could play he could play any way he wanted, you know, with the arm tied behind his back. He's just a hockey player, you know, he's yeah. a gamer. So and I just think like a guy like Ristolainen is just so looking forward to playing meaningful hockey after being in Buffalo for, sure. for six years. Yeah. So I I think it'll come together quick, but they gotta forge an identity. They didn't for the only identity they forged last year was not being ready to play in games and wildly lacking structure defensively, so those are not good traits. They got to be. They got to forge an identity of being a really difficult team to play play against. One with structure and balance. That I think that's the most important thing. Um, right. And and if there's accountability for the opposition. Oh, for sure. Um, I totally agree on, on that end. Now, what I want to talk about with Couturier is, like I said, kind of in the weeds. And I say this because I listen to to your pod you talking about it as usual you bring you know facts and logic to things so that's already mistake number one on your end um yeah. for doing <laughs> that kind of stuff but uh um but no and i i read a lot of comments under the signings and i look at other people that i that i follow and i read their comments and i start seeing what fans are saying and it for me i always compared Couturier for better for us to a Patrice Bergeron. So, and I, and I say that because one, they're both Selkie, you know, masters the way they, the two way forwards. But I always looked at Couturier as um, he doesn't have the God, he wasn't given the God given abilities of super speed or the ability, as far as I'm concerned, to score 40 goals a season. But what he does have is that he's a brilliant hockey player. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, I see people say, oh, well, he has injury history. No, he does not. Since this season, you take the COVID, take the COVID uh, pandemic uh, um, games away, he's averaged 74 games a year. Yeah. So that's pretty damn healthy in the modern NHL. So, and I that's two at, full seasons. He played 82 and 80. Right. You know? yeah. So, and then, you know, before the, the, the breakdown of COVID, he had played 69 games. So he was well on his way to over 75 games, most likely again. Yeah. Um, so, and then I, and I look at him as someone, you know, Patrice Bergeron's 36 and he's still up for a Selk every year. So I think what fans have to realize about Couturier is he's 28, which means he's entering his prime of his career and he's healthy and he's a a brilliant player on the ice. So he's going to age well in the NHL as long as he stays healthy. Is that kind of like where you are with Couturier, where the guy just has, like I said, 
not super fast, doesn't have the scoring ability of, you know, of an Ovechkin. Obviously, no one does, but just saying. But his game will age well. Yeah, he's the son of a coach, and you can tell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, you can tell because of the detail that's in his game. And there's, you know, the game is all about the little details, and he he plays a detail-oriented hockey game. You know, there's different kinds of players, right? And he's not a burner. He's never been a burner. He's never he's a good skater, but he's not, he's not you know explosively fast or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And you look at players, you know, especially larger frame players that aren't great skaters, and they don't age well. Now you look at guys like a James Neal, or you look like a Milan Lucic, or a David Backus. Yeah. They don't have a half a step to lose because they don't play a detail-oriented game. They don't, they're don't. they really good players in their prime, but when they lose a half a step, they don't know how to make up for it. They don't have the half a step to lose. So even if Couturier, who's not a blinding speed guy anyway, you know, loses some of the speed that he does have, it's not, even, it's not going to be a huge effect on him because like Bergeron, they think the game so well, so they, they're going to adjust to their limitations physically and think the game at an elite level. Mm-hmm. And it's a great comparison. If you look at their numbers side by side at the same age, they're virtually identical. Yeah, Bergeron actually has had a lot of injuries, um, mm-hmm. some pretty serious ones, but and he's still incredibly effective. And I think Couturier will be the same way um, and will age in this league very well because of – the hockey IQ that he plays with sure. and, and how he good, how good he is at the details of the game. Yeah. I mean, he's one of the top three faceoff guys ever. I and mean, we know, what he, look, we all know what he is. I mean, yeah. he's a, people in this town, the perception of Sean Couturier from the mass kind of, you know, crowd look is that he's, yeah, he's a good player, but we need a superstar. And he, he actually, I mean, he may not be a superstar. Like he's not McDavid. He's not, you know, right. Matthews, but he's in that next tier of star player. I mean, he's got everything you want in a player. He is a coach's dream. When they're shuffling lines, there's a line outside AV's office saying, can I play on the wing with him? Absolutely. You know? <laughs> Guys would come out of retirement. To, Danny Briere would come out of retirement tomorrow <laughs> to play his wing. I, I agree. Yeah, he's always so, in the right position. Always in the right position. Like You, you yeah. rarely ever see um, Couturier um, out of position. He, he's yeah. always he thinks so far ahead. He's playing chess, um, so, exactly. And he kind of how I like uh, I liken him is I go to a goalie like Carter Hart two years ago. You and I talked about this a couple of times where it'll always look like the anticipation aspect of Carter Hart's game was so spectacular, um, where he just was always in the right place because it's as if he knew where the puck was going to go three five seconds ahead of time. Yeah. And I feel like. Um, I just feel like that's what Couturier is. Yep. It's a great comparison because, yeah, like I've said that about Hart a lot. You know, he doesn't make spectacular saves, and so many of the saves he makes hit him in the logo. Mm-hmm. Um, why is that? Well, because he's in the right spot. If you're in the right spot, they'll hit you a lot. So, yeah. And that's all play-reading ability and the ability to, to know what's going to happen before it happens because you think the game at elite level, and Couturier does that. And you're right, you very you know seldom – rarely see him having to do a desperation type back check because he doesn't put himself in a position of desperation. Right. And it's the same for Hart when he's on his game and he's reading plays. He's not flopping all over the place because he's going from point A to point B in an efficient manner, getting there on his edges and being square. You know, it's kind of a, 
the guys that get themselves and are more dramatic, that's a self-inflicted wound a lot of times. Yeah, absolutely agree. So, Mm -hmm. but yeah, so yeah, I I mean, I agree with you. I think he's just, he's just a, just a, such a good hockey player. He's a good dude. He's a good hockey player. Um, But, you know, he doesn't jump off the page like an Ovechkin does or, you know, players like that. So, right. But I will tell you, he is other than the goal. Okay, so after some technical difficulties there, and by that I mean my computer completely shut off, so that's not on Jason, uh, that's on on me and my 2021 technology. Um, We are back here, and we were talking, Jason, about the comparison that I had made about uh, Carter Hart and Sean Couturier in terms of um, their anticipation abilities, how they were, how smart they are in the ice, Um, and if you want to pick up where you were at that point. Yeah, I mean, it's an apt comparison because both players read the play really well. So even if some physical ability does erode as a player gets north of 35 for Couturier at the end of this deal, he'll still be fine. He's Mm -hmm. not going to be a guy that's going to fall off a cliff like Lucic did, right? Mm -hmm. Where Lucic just, it was just a brawn physical game. You see those, those power forwards like Lucic, like even Wayne Simmons to some extent. Yeah. Um, David Backus. That when they when they lose it, it just it's like a running back in the NFL. It just goes and it's completely gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Couturier doesn't fall into that category. And you know, you, you got to take Flyers Twitter or hockey Twitter for what it is, or just Twitter for what it is. It's the land of the sky is falling. You know, these you see people that are like this team needs to do what it takes to win now. They got to sacrifice the future. Then you sign a guy like Sean Couturier to an eight-year contract. And they're like, oh, my God, he's going to be 37 when it's over. And it's like, well, look, anytime you want to make your team really good and contend, and I'm not saying that they're going to contend, mm-hmm. but you have to incur risk. And part of that risk sometimes is signing the contract longer than you would want to in a perfect world. But Sean Couturier wasn't signing in a contract – for six years or five years at an AAV of $7.75 million. He wasn't doing it. He went to the open market, and what, and that number would have been seven years, and it probably would have started with a nine. Absolutely agree. Hands down. Yeah. So they got a hell of a deal. Yeah, a 28-year-old that's a former Selk winner coming into his prime. Oh, yeah, that number is starting with at least an eight. Yeah. I mean, look at the contracts. Look, defensemen have gotten paid. Hamilton, north of nine. Seth Jones, North of nine. He still has a year left on his deal, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at that and go, man, not only that, you got Couturier at 7.75, but he's a better player than those guys Agreed. in total. Uh, so, you know, it, more impactful, too. And I know D's really important, but so is a first-line center that can play the full sheet of the ice and is a Selkie winner. So, yeah, that would have started with a nine. They got a hell of a deal. And part of it, frankly, is that Couturier wants to win. So he knows not to hamstring his team with a, a contract that's going to make it more difficult to get players around him. Look, he's, he's seen up, up close and personal, you know, through Drew's career. Great mm-hmm. player that hasn't had a lot around him. So he doesn't want to put himself in a situation where they, they can't put the requisite pieces to assemble a team that can win. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to be a rich man no matter what. <laughs> he's um, going to be he's going to be a rich man. So just fine. Um so uh, I heard you mentioned Giroux, and I was I was going to segue to that. So this deal, you look at part of that told me. I think I even sent you the text. I even said, "Well, the future captain just got his basket." So, and I don't mean to disparage 
Jim Rue at all because this is his last year of, of his big contract. And where, where do you think the Flyers are in terms of the future with Claude Giroux? Uh, do you think, you know, he already said he wants to, he agrees with the Flyers in terms of let's wait out this season, which is smart on both ends, really. Um, let's see how this season goes and then we'll talk. Um, you know, Chuck Fletcher has said, you know, he hopes there is a future. He assumes there's going to be a future with Claude Giroux on the Flyers. Where are you, Jason, in terms of the future of Claude? Um, it, you know, if this team kind of goes south, you know, God forbid goes south, do you see maybe the Flyers looking to trade Giroux to a winner? I know I'm, I'm foreshadowing, but these are just the things that pop in my head at this point on the last year of a deal with a guy like Giroux who clearly wants to win a championship. And this is going to be one of the more interesting years of, you know, the longest tenured athlete in Philadelphia. Um, where, what is going on in the Claude Giroux camp? Yeah. I mean, I think Claude wants to be here. Um, and look, if things did, let's play out the scenario. If things did go sideways this year and they were stone cold sellers at the deadline, um, I think there would be a conversation about move, waving his no move clause and maybe going somewhere. It's he's a tough contract to move though because yeah. it's so big, right? Mm-hmm. And what, I mean, you could eat a lot of the salary and get a heftier return. Um, so you you know you eat half the contract for this year. It's not a big deal. You're not going to the playoffs in this scenario anyway, mm-hmm. and you just get a bigger return and a team can fit the cap hit for right. the remainder of this season. It's a straight up rental because he's in the final year of his deal. So. Um, I could see that if if things were to go sideways. Uh, but beyond this year, I, I think Claude's in a, in a position right now of wait and see, see where the team is, mm-hmm. where he fits into it. I think he's not signing a contract and talking right now because he's also of the mindset that he wants to win. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't want to, you know, this is weird to say, he doesn't want to sign a $5 million contract. Yeah, and then, you know, if, if there's a situation where he can get, $4 million and the team can improve and put themselves in a position to be a real contender, then I think that that's what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it is up to him. I think it's, it's been very respectful conversation between the two. And um, as long as Claude wants to be here, I think he'll be here. And I think he wants to be here as long as they, they, he feels they can win. And and I, I that's pretty much where my stance is. And this might be a dumb question or might be kind of going into the weeds a little bit with this kind of question. But with the changes that that Chuck Fletcher has made in this offseason in terms of personality in the locker room. Do you think that's a negative reflection on the leadership of Claude Giroux, or is that kind of just maybe over overdoing the whole aspect of a captain? Am I putting too much emphasis on that? Um, I, look, it, it, there is a little bit of an indictment there, I think, um, because the leader, you know this because you played the game, but leadership is not one person no. in a hockey on a hockey team, no. especially. I mean, it's always we, not me. And and but the leadership overall, obviously, wasn't you know wasn't good enough because the team repeatedly wasn't ready to play. Now I don't believe that that's an, a player's thing to to get other players ready to play. I don't think it's the coach's job to get other players to play at the professional no. level. I think it's it's the mirror, you know, look in the mirror, you're an athlete, you're a pro mm-hmm. athlete, take care of your business. But, and, and clearly there needed to be a core shakeup. I think mm-hmm. we all agree. And Chuck shook it big time. Uh, so, but I, I think there is a little bit of an indictment there that things got predictable, that things, it, it, there lacked 
dynamic through mm-hmm. repetition of the same group, you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I've always been a firm believer in this at every level and every level that I've ever played at, every level I've coached at, and every level I've observed at, that there has to be some element of discomfort. You mm-hmm. know, comfort is is not a great thing in sports, I don't think. There, there's a comfort. You know, I, I think it's good for players that come in every year where you got to tell a couple guys where the pisser is, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, they don't even know where the bathroom is at the practice facility. Yeah. You know, they, I asked Keith Yandel about that. I said, Keith, is, is there something just to, you know, going to a new team and, and having to use GPS to get to the practice rink? You know what I mean? Like, if there's a little, a little a level of discomfort, there's excitement in that. And yeah. it invigorates not only you as a player, but I think it invigorates other players. It becomes infectious. Mm-hmm. So, And we saw that effect of, like, Kevin Hayes coming, you know, and, and when that happens. So I, I think that there, that there is a little bit of an indictment there. Um, but, you know, Giroux's never been a, a, per se, vocal leader. Yeah, He's never. just a leader in, the, you know, the way he approaches every element of the game. Mm-hmm. And... Um, he's just such a been such a consistent dynamic player mm-hmm. over such a long period of time that um, I think they'll want to keep him. Uh, I could see a scenario though if he does extend here and where they would turn over the captaincy, mm-hmm. um, and it wouldn't be an indictment on him. It would just be, hey, this is I I had my time in the chair. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm not the same player I was. I can impact a game the way I did before. I can still impact a game, and I will, but. This is a younger man's team now, yeah. um, and, and I could see a scenario where that happened. Can you recall a time where that's happened lately? A long in the t- league, Joe Thornton, Patrick, Patrick Marlowe. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean that. That's. I mean, Charo was always the captain in in mm-hmm. Boston, and then it turned over to Bergeron. But right. Bergeron was essentially a captain there too. I mean, that's that's the thing. Like you know, just because the letters on the jersey doesn't mean anything. Right. There's great leaders that haven't worn a letter. No, no, for sure. Um, last question. Um, now, I, I, I wanted to bring this up in the beginning, but then I got turned away by it. But this is the thing, like I told you before, I don't come up with questions for Jason. <laughs> Whatever our conversation leads to, I talk. <laughs> um, and you brought up, you know, the Ellis and Rissalainen. What do you think this is going to do with somebody like an Ivan Provorov who maybe had a down year? I guess last year, I mean, if you can even count that, but you could tell there was a drop-off from when he played with Matt Niskanen, and the, the comfort level just wasn't there for the whole season. Um, I felt like he maybe put too much pressure on himself to do everything and anything, yeah. um, and I kind of saw that a couple times back in the day uh, with, like, a Braden Coburn when maybe Kima was out for, uh, uh, like, a few games, Braden Coburn was the kind of guy who felt like, look, I'm just going to try to do everything and anything um, for 25 minutes on the ice. And I feel like Perverall fell into that rut last year. But now, like you said, this defense has been completely bolstered. What do you think this is going to do for Provorov, who I still view – God, the, the kid's 24 years old. I still view him as a, a, a guy that could turn into a Norris-type defenseman. What, what do you think this is going to do for, for Provorov? I think it's going to be huge. Uh, if those two have chemistry, I mean, just look at the chemistry he had with a 33-year-old Matt Niskanen. Yeah. Right? And Niskanen came in, and that deal was widely panned because they retained some money on Gudis, and Niskanen was an analytics mutt. <laughs> kind of like Ristolainen. Yeah. Right? 
but he fit. And, and it's yeah. not about statistics when you're in one place. It's what you are in that place, in the new right. place, in the place where you are. And those two fit together hand in glove. And, you know, I, this is a big thing, and it's really important. Defensemen need to have reps of consistency with a partner mm-hmm. because you're the – you're in the position on the ice. It's not as important at forward because you're more dictating what's happening. And defense and goaltending, you're more reacting to what's happening around you and mm-hmm. and how they're trying to thwart your whatever you're trying to do, whether that's go back on pucks, whether that's break the puck out, stretch the ice, whatever it is, they're, they're attacking you. And yeah. when you don't have that consistency and you know, a partner – you have to just it has to be operating on instinct. You have to know where your partner is. For sure. You if you have to look or you have to think, okay, he like he I'm with Phil tonight, he will be at the bottom of the circle. I'm with uh tonight I'm with uh Sanheim or Braun, they'll be below the goal line behind the net far post. That's mm-hmm. where I'll drop it for him. And when you have to do that, you're dead. Now you're dead. You have to be able to just know where that guy is to just drop it off, wheel it, chip it. And without even having to look. And when you have that variance in partner, and then and then I do think that there's something to what you said too, where you try and do too much. Yep. You yep. know that this is a revolving door. Our defense hasn't been good. I'm going to try and take more on me. And what you end up doing then is you end up trying to do other people's jobs. Yep. And I say this all the time. You know, if, if you're trying to do my job, you're not doing your job. Now I got two people not doing their job. And yep. now I got the compounded effect. So. Yes. You have to do your job. You have to rely on your partner with instinct and faith. And 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 if the chemistry's there, I think the the effect of both of those players and Yandel too, to be honest with you, um, will be a pronounced effect on the defense because you have three veteran guys that should provide balance, consistency, and upgrades. Mm-hmm. And if though if all three of those boxes are checked with the acquisition of Yandel. Ristolainen, and, and most importantly, Ryan Ellis, yeah. then then you have a much better D. You could have a top five D in the NHL. And the effect of that is then now you've also improved the environment of your goaltender significantly. Mm-hmm. And you're putting him in a position to succeed, not in a position to have what happened last year, which was, I mean, that was some, that was some hideous environment. For I mean, we saw the memes on Twitter where the puck would be on the left – half wall in the, yeah. in the D zone and they'd have Columbus Blue Jackets would have two players there and the Flyers would have five. five. <laughs> like, oh. What are you doing? <laughs> this is stuff that you learn in peewee not to flood the ice in yep. the D zone. You have to have structure. And I mean, for Hart to, I cite this game a lot, the Boston game where he gets beat oh, three man. times back door yep. blocker side. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth goal is Marshan at the circle short side glove yep. <laughs> and i'm like yeah well that's the byproduct of the three backdoor goals that were scored he lost faith that that was going to be covered agreed yeah um and we're going to have plenty of time coming up to talk about carter hart and um i didn't want to touch on that uh tonight because i'm sure you know you're a goalie i put a lot of emphasis on the goaltending i have a lot of faith in carter hart so and of course in philadelphia with hockey it's always about the goaltender so we'll be talking a lot about carter hart hopefully in the future um, Hopefully Jason, it's good stuff. You know? I I believe it will be. I really do. I'm really confident. Um, and you know, you know him better than than most in terms of his preparation. And I I can bet my life that he is of all people 
ready to put last year behind him. And oh uh, yeah, I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, and he was just like the, my first part of the conversation. I don't even know if I had it when we were taping. Was just about how do you park last year? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, how do you go? Okay, let me deal with it. Let me learn from it, but let me park it. And parking it's hard, like because you don't have a game for so long. And the mm-hmm. the the greatest way to park adversity and, and poor play is to play and he just you don't have that ability at this time of years but yeah. i think he's done a good job and the way he's gotten away and and reattached with family and and all of those things and playing a lot of golf playing a lot of tennis so um yeah i got no i got i have no worries about him the yeah. only thing i'm worried about is the environment the right environment is more sli- and i'm not saying it needs to be barry trott's environment but mm-hmm. if, it, if that environment's much improved then you're gonna see a goaltender when he plays with a structured system around him, he'll be as good as it gets because, because when it breaks down, he can go into desperation when if he has to, mm-hmm. uh, but he plays with structure and play reading. And if there's, if you can add some predictability and structure that he can trust, then he's going to be ahead of every puck. He's mm-hmm. going to beat it on his skates, beat the pass. And he's going to be there like a Hoover vacuum, just sucking pucks <laughs> into the logo. <laughs> I wonder how many people listening know Hoover vacuum. Yeah, I guess they go like Dyson now. Dyson right? now, right? Yeah. Samsung making vacuums, they make everything else. They vacuum for you. It's a smart vacuum. It is a smart vacuum. Um, Jason, listen, I'm 24 hours a day with two little ones, but I am not 24 hours a day with a family and covering a professional hockey team. Um, however, <laughs> you know, I, I still uh, play hockey during the week, and I know you're still part of the game. What are you doing mentally, man, to prepare for the next seven months eight months yeah that's that's a tricky one because like i love when the season's here because i and i love the regular season i love the rhythm of an, eight, an 82 game season absolutely and i'm and i'm looking forward to it because we haven't had it in a couple of years and you know mm-hmm. i want that normalcy back and there were some fans there last year i was in the building all year when there was none in the beginning and then some but even when there was some there wasn't much to cheer for so right. you know i'm looking forward to that element but yeah i mean it, I'm not doing seven days a week right now for the podcast. We're only doing three. Okay. I think in a couple of weeks we're going to go up to Monday through Friday. And then when the season starts, it's every day. I mean, I do one every day, no matter what, what happens, what's not happening, everything. So it is a lot, but um, I just love the game so much that it's, um, I just enjoy it so much. Like I, you know, my son's team already started. I've been playing in my, my summer beer league. So I'm at the, I'm at the rink, I think combined between in season for the flyers between flyers practices flyers games my son's teams he plays for two and i play for one so i'm probably i probably go to the rink for some reason at least on 10 different occasions per seven days they'll never change Jason. yeah there's it just, it's it don't. but like like i walk in there and and I like I love walking into a rink where the ice has already been cut and nobody's in there yet, oh, and just great. the beautiful ice is sitting there and the mm-hmm. smell and the hum of the building. I love the smell of the locker room. It's just like Pavlov's dog, you know. It smells hideous, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. the association of being in the rink for me is just where I'm comfortable. And you know, I, I don't like to wear pants that have a belt loop. I like to yeah. wear like sweatpants and be at the rink in a hoodie. So. Mm-hmm. That's where you'll find me most times, <laughs> somewhere <laughs> around the rink. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much, man, for joining us. I really appreciate this. Uh, anytime, man. You know that. Anytime you want to talk hockey, 
I'm around.